This is Color Speak, Unveiling Truth for Light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk for relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth, and truth is where you'll find color. Color is where you'll find God. Now more than ever, we need to know He is still with us, that He still walks beside us, that He still fights our battles, that He remains our stronghold. The truth is, He's still giving us assurances of this, of His commitment to us, His protection of us, His love for us. He is still devoted to us, whether we realize it or not. This is a place for talking about it, for bringing examples into the light to encourage one another, for exposing our miracles, for celebration, and sharing our supernatural stories. Here, we are also sharing the everyday too, the ways in which our God is at work for us. The truth of who we are in God is an exciting place to be. It's a place where we can be confident, joyful, and expectant. It's also a place where we may affirm one another's relevance. We all have sacred purpose. We are designed to help one another achieve it, to tell our stories in all seasons. My next guests are a couple of fabulous young women who are encouraging multiple generations to love and follow Jesus. They are our hope for the future because unlike so many of their peers, they know the truth and they stand for it. And because of this, our God has given them impressive wisdom and kindness to match their devotion and integrity. Zoe and Christine are two of my favorite people in the world. Close friends of my daughter, Rachel. They are also my former high school students with a long list of remarkable accomplishments that are truly extraordinary for women of their age. So I know firsthand of the quality of their hard work, whatever they put their minds to, they excel at. Zoe is a senior at Rockhurst University in Kansas City who is already planning on working toward her PhD in occupational therapy. And Christine is a sophomore at the University of Northwestern with plans to become a dentist. And while there is so much more to speak of, not the least of which has been volunteer work and community service by the both of them. But I will let these ladies add a little more now. Hello, Zoe and Christine. Welcome to Color Speak. (laughs) Hello. Hello. (laughs) You already have us both in tears. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love you so much. Well, first of all, let me get a visual on you. I didn't ask you this one when you phoned, I or when I phoned. Where are you? I envision you're in a coffee shop. Or something. <laughs> oh, you envision so well. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where you are for uh, real? We're actually where I work. It's Homer's Coffee House in Old Overland Park, and we're just sitting in the back room at a bar stool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, that's so apropos that you would be there in a coffee shop. That's what we do, right? True. True. I love it. It's a good place it. to talk philosophy. It's true. Yeah. Yes. We've got a good visual of like a parking lot here and a little alleyway and a couple dead trees. So <laughs> That's Oh, nice. They'll revive. Yes. Spring is uh, coming. 
<laughs> it reminds me of, I think I told you this when I was down in Barbados a couple of years ago, and I was talking to one of the young ladies there, and she was talking about what they do, you know, people in your age group in their 20s to have fun. And she said they would go paintballing. And she asked me, what do <gasps> the young people do in your in your area? And I said, well, they meet in coffee shops. And she thought that was the strangest thing. <laughs> she said, wait, wait, what? They meet in coffee shops? Yeah, it's Aww. a thing. It's what we do. That's Be sad fair. that it's kind of foreign. <laughs> Be fair, paintballing sounds more epic. <laughs> I don't blame Well, I don't know. It depends on which end you're on. <laughs> So, hey, yeah, really, tell me about you guys. Tell me what's, tell me more about you. There's never, we never have enough time for that. Oh, yeah, that's such a big question. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, thank you for that very generous bio. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I so have true. too much more to add. Um, yeah, I'm going to college up in Minnesota right now. So I'm kind of loving the 30 degree weather down in Kansas City right now because mm-hmm. I'm used to negative 40 and <laughs> Five feet of snow. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I I grew up in a Christian home. Um, have had a pretty up and down kind of faith with the Lord over the years. But I'm thankful for some really good parents and good friends and community to kind of keep me grounded through all of those seasons. Yeah, I I'm biracial. I don't know if that's fun to add <laughs> in there. <laughs> Please do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So my mom's from the middle of nowhere, Kansas, kind of in the Parsons, Pittsburgh area. Uh, But my dad's actually from Rajasthan, um, which is northern India area. So um, so I kind of grew up juggling all different kinds of cultures. Um, My grandparents live right down the road from us and they speak Hindi to each other pretty frequently. So um, so I. I think I I love being able to witness different cultures and different people in that way, just because that's that's how I grew up. Um, And I think like Janet, you and I have talked about this, but just being able to embrace other people for who they are and like have an appreciation for color and different cultures in that way Mm -hmm. is is um, such a good reflection of the Lord and his heart for us. So oh, beautifully said. Yes, I absolutely yeah. love it. And I think that was part of the reason too. You were always so excited when I suggested going and having, you know, Turkish coffee or Middle Eastern <laughs> food. <laughs> oh, yeah. So much fun. I love it. And you're just stunningly beautiful. So Aww, yeah, yeah, we're, it really worked out for you, Christine, and you, Zoe, as well. <laughs> you girls are just amazing in so many ways. So well, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess I'll just kind of go off of your <laughs> start for me with my biography. So yeah, I'm in my last year of undergraduate. I'm actually still a junior. I'm on an accelerated track. Um, so my senior year, I'll be starting graduate school actually this summer, which is just absolutely crazy to me. Um, The time has gone by so quickly and also just crazy to be in my last semester of undergraduate. I was buying all of my books yesterday, (laughs) (laughs) crying a few tears over Mm. it, but yeah, kind of similarly to Christine, I have just grown up in a community Christian community just surrounded by God and kind of all different aspects of my life. But I wouldn't necessarily say that while I've had like a head knowledge of God my whole life, I wouldn't say I've always had the heart knowledge of him. And I think that that has been an interesting path throughout 
my childhood and teenage and adult years. And I'm really grateful that I've had some wonderful communities around me, you both included, so integral in, in the development of my faith and my relationship with God and really looking forward to getting to talk to you both today. It's my favorite thing to do, talking to you both. Oh, likewise. <laughs> I feel the same way. I was so thankful, actually, that that I got to know you as students. I felt like God was really looking favorably upon me as a new teacher because both of you were in my very first class, the very first year I taught British literature. And I don't even recall what year that was. I think it was 2015, 2016. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a few years. Yeah. And I was really impressed. I didn't know how it was going to go. You know, I had taught other grade levels before, but really not high school. And I was so pleasantly surprised and so encouraged by you. And boy, I still, you know this, I still use your work that you had turned into me and I begged for copies of. I still use those as examples. And and it's so fun. I mean, I literally laugh when I'm reading them because I'm looking at the faces of my incoming students and they're thinking, wow, the bar is set so high. And it really, it really is. Um, And then I I was I think I was reading, I can't remember which one of you gave me this Hamlet paper. And I was reading it during our Shakespeare segment where I assigned the kids their upcoming writing assignment. And one of the guys said, wait, did a real student write that? (laughs) I wonder that too. Yeah, yeah, this is this is encouragement for y'all. This is the bar. This is where it's set. This is what I expect. Oh, that's so kind. But inspired by you. So true. 100%. Yeah. Oh, gosh. We were, we were definitely taught by the best. Exactly. Oh, you guys. So not true. But I love that you would say it. So school was fun for me, having you in there. And we covered a lot of material. And I've always thought it would be really fun. I've never done any writing that talks about some of the material we covered. But I can ask you here on Color Speak, what was your favorite thing that you studied? So you were in both of you were in both American literature and British literature classes with me. What was your favorite? I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, okay. I mean, definitely Hamlet uh, with yeah. you because you're such a Hamlet enthusiast. <laughs> so you just made it an absolute adventure. And I loved getting to watch the many, many different versions of Hamlet. That's so fun, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I feel like that the Shakespeare section of Brit Lit was just such a highlight <laughs> of my experience anyway. Oh, yeah, see, I I honestly, um, I think I loved Brave New World the best oh, way. Yeah. Which is funny because, um, I mean, Aldous Huxley and all of his futuristic imaginings, I, I mean, I didn't love the book a whole lot, but I think I just loved getting to talk through it with you because, I mean, Janet, you have such a touch for the supernatural and being able to, yeah. you know, understand things from a, like out of body perspective, <laughs> I want to say. <laughs> um, so it, it was like both scary, but also really enlightening to, to like be able to talk about our culture and where our where our society is headed in that way with you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, thanks. I, You yeah. know, it's interesting you would say that because I don't assign, as you know, George Orwell's 1984, mm-hmm. who was essentially a contemporary of Huxley. I don't do that intentionally because the material is just a lot for high school. Yeah. And there are some, you know, inappropriate references and certainly scenes if you see the movie. But by golly, <laughs> is there a lot of uh, parallelisms that we're seeing today with, um, you know, there's just so much to impact there. And I think what I thought was fascinating about Huxley is I was relatively safe in assigning it in high school. And I, I thought that his perspective was interesting. He was kind of a a nut. Really? (laughs) And I remember when I was a kid, I asked my dad, (laughs) Are we related to Thomas Huxley, the famous scientist? Are we related to Aldous Huxley? And he said, well, I'm sure we are. You know, our name is Huxley. He had never done the genealogy and neither have I. But I thought he was sort of an interesting guy, even as a kid. I wanted to explore what he had to say. And obviously, we could spend the next three hours talking about Huxley and his idiosyncrasies. (laughs) And, you know, the follow up he did 20 years later with more thoughts on Brave New World. And what I thought was really fascinating was that George Orwell was a fan of Huxley's and had written him asking him what he thought about 1984. To add to Huxley's long list of interesting attributes, he he kind of brushed him off and said, yeah, I don't really like this, so to speak. So, I mean, he wasn't like he was very encouraging. I think he was a little bit egotistical as far as I understand him to be. And I think for me, too, it was it was seeing that... um, like the Christian perspective isn't the only one that thinks that way. Cause so often you hear just within like the church and people, you know, mm-hmm. seeing how far our nation and our world has strayed from God. I mean, it's, it's very common to hear people say, Oh, we're just going to hell in a handbasket and look at how far we've deviated from, um, from God's design for us. But then I think too, being able to realize that that ideology and recognizing that, um, is very common in, I mean, Aldous Huxley's, Huxley's viewpoint and other secular worldviews as well. So yeah, just an understanding that things are wrong in our world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. in making a transition into your faith, you've already talked a little bit about that, particularly you, Christine. What is it that you think is the biggest challenge right now for your specific generation? I think a really prominent challenge is a lot of people I think are not opening the Bible as much as they should be, you know, and, and I think, you know, I'm guilty of that too at times. And it's really just important to make sure everything that we're basing our beliefs on and all of our actions flow out of should be from the words of Christ and just coming back to that and developing our personal philosophy um, based on the Bible is so paramount, especially now um, when it can be easily misconstrued or misled, but uh, just different philosophies. Um, it's so important to return to Jesus's teaching. Yeah, I I love that you brought that up because I was I was thinking along the same things, too, and how our um, our particular generation, I think, struggles so much with like their identity and their entitlement. And I mean, especially relating it to Janet's podcast, we talk a lot about our relevance and how um, our voice matters. But I think 
so often our culture can twist that to put the onus just on us and our, our arrogance and our ability to be our own savior, if you will, which I think, you know, there, there's a validness in saying that I matter and I have importance and I have worth. But when that's all that you see, you can kind of get bogged down in that and lost in that because oh, yeah. you're missing out on the worth that God has given you, how he relates to your story. And so I think, right. Yeah, I think there are just so many good things that our, our culture gets close to, but just goes around like Zoe's saying and misses the whole point because um, we're not guiding our worldviews according to scripture and according to what, what Christ has done for us. Yeah, I think building off of that also kind of what Christine was saying, like another issue is that people are trying to be like Jesus to be like a better version of themselves rather than a more accurate mm-hmm. reflection of him. Yeah. Um, and so really kind of taking a moment and assessing what your intentions are as far as your faith and how you're living that out. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot and, (laughs) um, before I go there, (laughs) but I think you can handle it. So here's the thing. I think we can all agree that there is intelligent design. There's enough scientific proof for intelligent design. We know that the law of thermodynamics and all of science supports the idea that we do not go from chaos to organization, but rather the reverse is true. I just love the time that we're living in. It's such a great time to be a Christian because there has never been more conclusive proof to back this up. I mean, it requires so much more faith to believe otherwise. It just, it's mind blowing. So I think that we can all agree, you know, when we look at even just that someone has written genetic code. I mean, it used to suffice that people would say, well, I just look around in nature And I can see that a mom produces milk when her baby is born or what have you. And little seeds in the earth die to give life. And there's always sustenance going on from the beginning of time. There's been a way, right? And so I think that most of us with any brainwave activity, and I don't mean that unkindly, but really it begs the question, how could you not see the evidence? And yet we have a problem with the definition of God and who he is. So going back to the Bible comment, because I think this is worthy of stopping down here. And here's where I put you on the spot. How would you respond to your peers who might say, the Bible was written thousands of years ago by a bunch of men that has errors. And I can't really believe that it is the inerrant word of God, that it is infallible. It's not to be trusted. And there is an even more negative narrative that has surfaced, particularly in the last year, that I'll address here shortly. But first, let's stop down there. What would you say to that? And how would you respond to people in your age group that have that idea or perspective of the word of God? I love this question. And my take on it may be a little different than Zoe's or or yours or anyone else's. But I think when we look at the Bible, we know that it's true because the resurrection is true. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, yes, as Christians, we love the Bible and it is inerrant and it is God's holy word, but we would have never had the Bible if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Good point. And so I think from that perspective, you've got to look not necessarily just at the inerrancy of the Bible on its own, but at the evidence for the resurrection in order mm-hmm. to say that, hey, 
the gospel writers knew what they were talking about when they put down these testimonies. Um, and uh, I'm going to give a shout out here to oh, Dr. Frank Turek's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's so good. And he goes through all these different points of how, um, like the apostles, when they're writing through the gospels, they have not only extra biblical testimony to say that there was a Jesus, a man named Jesus who rose from the dead. Um, mm-hmm. You've got like Josephus and other Jewish Tacitus, historians. The Talmud. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That, yeah. Um, testify to the crucifixion and bring eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Um, so you've got all those testimonies going on, but also just something basic that's easy for me to understand is like the embarrassing testimonies that the apostles wrote. And oh, yeah. Yes. We're like, they're putting themselves down as like, hey, Peter denied Jesus three times. Um, and women who weren't very seen as high members of society were the first one to discover Jesus and the first yeah. ones to see him after the empty tomb. Exactly. Whereas, like, yeah. If the apostles were making this up, they would in no way have put put themselves as <laughs> in compromising positions. As the fools, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fools and like lifted <laughs> women up in that way. Um, yeah, exactly. So just those testimonials verify the truth of the gospels and then putting the gospels together with the old testament and the prophecies Mm -hmm. and the fact that the resurrection is real um that's i think that's how you come to the inerrancy of the bible it's not like we know that jesus rose from the dead because the bible says it it's that jesus rose from the dead and so the bible says it yeah i think building off of that like christine said there is a lot of historical proof for Mm. the resurrection even if you set aside all of the gospels, all of the eyewitness testimonies, which I know people would probably contest as being biased or folklore, which there's a lot of proof that they're not. But um, if you're just looking at it from a strictly historical perspective, like Christine mentioned, um, from the writings of Josephus, Tacitus, uh, which was a like a Roman recorder yeah. or something and yeah. someone who was against the Jews. Yeah, someone Jews. who yeah, and then Right. You had hostile witnesses. Even yeah, the Talmud, absolutely. which you know, mm-hmm. again, the Jews were not in, you know, really support sure. of Jesus or anything that he was teaching and preaching. Right. Um, you get this picture of the historical Jesus as being someone who was able to perform miracles, someone who died and then was resurrected and appeared to his followers and then this amazing uh you know following happened afterwards just exploded of the church and that's all verified throughout history which really just then is backed up with the testimony of the gospels yes and yeah i just think uh like christine said again if if the gospels and the bible had been subject to to legends and to folklore, um, so many things would look different. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love where you're going with this. I know what you're going to say. This is awesome. (laughs) This is huge. Well, and it also, more than almost any other historical document, the Bible, or at least the Gospels and Paul's letters date back so closely to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. There's just been a lot of historical proof that even within like, 10 to 20 years have they resurfaced. Um, And it's just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and the earliest writings, I think, date to about two years after the resurrection in the epistles that were sent. So we have from the very beginning of of all of that time, we have conclusive 
writing that was not refuted at the time, but embraced as truth. So therefore, the the argument that all of this could have been manufactured or embellished or changed over time to create more of a legend is inaccurate. I mean, we can dismiss that Mm -hmm. argument right right away. And I love that, yes, those hostile and those secularists that don't agree with any of it and don't want to find the proof in Jesus still have a hard time refuting any of that. Mm. And we can all agree, really. I know that you both must have read Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ or The Case for Christ. Have you? I'm actually reading that right now. Yeah. It's so good. Have you read it? (laughs) <laughs> but you, you, I feel like you probably read enough other things. <laughs> Christine hasn't read it. Oh but my I'll goodness. <laughs> and Janet, like when you were going off on, on your, um, talking about how like somebody wrote the genetic code, I was just over here, like lifting my hands and praise. Yes. I can attest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and especially with genetics, like it's extraordinary how, how our bodies are, living testaments to the one who made us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we forget that. And we just yes. like going back to culture and our perspectives and mm-hmm. um, what our generation's struggling with. I think we just put all our hope in ourselves and what we can do. Yes. Um, but like, that's what Jesus came to save us from. Yeah. Well, once you wrap your mind around the truth of Jesus, then what do you do with that? I mean, you have to come to terms with what that means for you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just don't want to give the control up, but they fail to understand that living in a place where you are trying to control your own life is like, I don't know, it's like having your finger in a small hole in a dam yeah. <laughs> and, and, and waiting for it to break because... There's just no way you need a force to sustain that you need help. And it's so liberating when you can just fall into that help and release it and believe that it has the best intentions for you. And then it's, it's, gosh, what a breath of fresh air it is. I just want to talk a little bit more. And I alluded to this earlier about the Bible and the perspective these days. And, you know, you, you might have peers that say, well, that's well and good. I, I acknowledge that. Jesus did live. He did walk the earth. He was a great prophet. He he was absolutely crucified. There's no way we can deny that. We have the facts. We know that he absolutely was resurrected. We have over 500 witnesses that attest to that and all kinds of church writings from the earliest of days that solidify that understanding. But what about the God of the Old Testament? So therein lies a problem because I think so many people of all ages dismiss the Bible out of hand because they can't come to terms with the God of the Old Testament. And case in point, as you know, I went to work at a coffee shop last year, was there for about a year. And I did that because my daughters wanted me to work with them. But which is really Best weird. Mom ever. I don't know. No, I, you know, they may, they may disagree now. I'm like, what were we thinking? Um, but yeah, so it was fun to be a barista alongside of them. But I, I had this idea that I needed to get out of my comfort zone. And I felt like it would be a really cool thing to show people what a middle aged white woman who loves Jesus looks like. And that there wouldn't be any condemnation or judgment, but there would just be love. And Let me tell you, Mm -hmm. I did. I did love the people, the kids I worked with. I was 20 years older than every other one of them. And 
I, you know, in the end, I did, I did part during the pandemic in a way that was not pleasing to me. And, you know, I've never spoken about it publicly. Here I am. I'm just waiting on the Lord and he's sort of leading me and I'm prompted to here it is. It's almost difficult for me to talk about this without getting emotional because after all of that time, all of the hell that broke loose last year just created this perspective that radically changed like in in a flash, in a moment. And all of a sudden, I heard things like, well, if you're a believer of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you're a racist because you believe in a book that's condoning slavery. And, uh, you know, of course, I could have every rational, intellectual, educational response in the world, but that was no competition against the emotion that took hold and eradicated the mm-hmm. opportunity for not only rational thought, but effective dialogue and rhetoric between us. And so even though I could fight that and say, come on, you know, that isn't true. And I did venture to give a reason for why I feel the way I do, as Paul has instructed us to do. That didn't suffice. And the vitriol and the hatred that came against me because of that was overwhelming. It wasn't so much overwhelming because thankfully I had the Lord to secure my my anchor and hold me fast. But what I found was astounding was that people actually thought the way they did and that those that I had loved and considered friends felt the need to support that and and believe that without really even allowing me the opportunity to explain further. So I ended up having to block people on social media. And so I kind of left there. I can tell you guys this. So I kind of left there feeling like a little Mm -hmm. bit of a failure. Like I hadn't really, I hadn't really accomplished my mission. And, and, you know, I, I think about Isaiah a lot and I think about what it must've been like for him to have the word you know, that he had been given for the people and to have them ignore him and ridicule him and how, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but how he must have suffered for that and how he must have felt like a failure. But we know, according to scripture, that no seed Mm -hmm. that the Lord plants goes unnourished and it will be fertilized and grow in its time. But it's difficult in the moment not to feel like you haven't done what you needed to do. And so I think of Isaiah because I think, wow, even today, thousands of years later, Isaiah is effective. So anyway, there's, there's a lot, lot to be said on that subject. So I'm just wondering how you all feel. That is the narrative. The popular narrative Mm -hmm. is uh, the Bible, especially the Old Testament condones this practice, which we know is not true. How do how do we deal with that, girls? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just to clarify the question. When you say that practice, are you talking about like the slavery in Leviticus? Yeah, so the slavery in Leviticus and it, it's all throughout the Old Testament, you know, where despite the fact that there were people that were indentured and that sold themselves into slavery, there was the very real issue of those that had been taken into slavery against their will. And and it's so much more than that. That is so right. oversimplified. It's it's almost appalling because the way that women were treated, for example, was just unacceptable. But having said all of that, there's not any place in the Bible where God says, "Yeah, this was my intention. This is this is great. This is okay." And so what Paul was speaking to later in the New Testament when he talks about right. this very thing, he says, "Listen, just 
do the best job you can wherever you are, whether you're slave or free or whatever. He's not, I guess maybe the angst is that he failed to advocate insurrection, perhaps. I don't know. But there's there's a lot to deal with there. How do how do we convince someone that okay, all of this having been said, God is still still with us. He still loves us. He still mm-hmm. wants the best for us. He's still he's still our guy to follow. And and on top of that, yes, a guy was swallowed by a fish for three days. And yes, someone created fire from water, all of those things. Yes, he traveled with the Israelites as a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. Yes, he did ask Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, all of those things that really rankle. And I think every single one of them by itself is an opportunity for dismissing the Bible on a technicality that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel comfortable. How do we deal with this? is my point. And so because what I've seen is, there are largely all of those who nitpick what they find to be unacceptable. And so much of it is unacceptable to say, well, the Bible must not be true. Or as history progresses, look at the Crusades, look what the people did then look at those who called themselves Christians. But I would argue, yeah, those are people that are blowing up abortion clinics and doing things that true followers of Jesus would never do. How do we, how do we convince a public? I guess, you know, I guess it gets back to, I guess I'm sort of putting words in your mouth. I guess it gets back to the spirit, right? It's the spirit that has to convict, not us. But we have to have an answer. Yeah, I think, well, and Janet, you are so brave and so (laughs) wise. Um, And I I appreciate everything that you've said. And as as I've been listening to, um, like, the things that, people have said to you and um, the things that, I mean, I've, I've heard on the news, I've heard other people say in in class at a Christian college too, like it's all, it all just comes down to the state of your heart. And I think a lot of times people look at the God of the old Testament and they see like the killing of the Canaanites um, in X, uh, is it numbers? Yeah. Mm, I think so. so. Um, And, and that's just difficult and it's hard to wrestle with that. And, You know, even like as as resound as I am in my own faith, like that's something that I try to push sure. away. Yeah. Oh, we all like, do. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, and I think I'm, I'm, there are definitely theological, like you're saying, and logical answers for why that had to be the way that it did. Um, and we can go back and forth on those all day, but it ultimately comes down to whether or not someone is willing to accept God for for being the merciful and loving father that he is, even if it's not what they expect or what they think he's going to look like. Um, and just to pull out some scripture, I love that you brought up Jonah. Um, Cause one of my favorite, Oh, where, where is Jonah in the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Um, one of my favorite verses in the old Testament, when we think about like God being merciful and loving and how the old Testament God some people say is it looks different than the new Testament God of Jesus, which is not true at all. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's, it's a common, it's a common misconception that God is so much more harsh with his people in the old Testament than Jesus is in the new Testament. I can add in really quickly yeah. just finding that reference, but I think another important distinction is God is not his followers and we are messed up sinful humans who have, done very hypocritical things in the past and still do and it's horrible and and it hurts my heart 
to see some people professing to be Christians and doing the things that they do. Mm. And I think I've had to talk to a lot of my friends about that. I, I do not go to a Christian university, so I've, I feel like I've had a lot more opportunity for discussions from this exact perspective. And, and there's no way to justify some of those things that happened in the past. Um, but just to know that, that we are imperfect and God is perfect. And, um, at the end of the day, like, yes, Christians have done horrible things. We will continue to do horrible things because we are sinful and fallen humans. And we just have to keep recognizing that, that God is the one that we need to be like, and God is the one we need to keep having as our model and as our standard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said that you wouldn't attempt to rationalize it or to justify it. And I, for those that would really press me on that, I would say, listen, I mean, as ugly as that sounds and as appalling as it is for me and as difficult as it is for me to reconcile with that, like you, I have to just trust that I don't have the insider information. He does. Mm -hmm. And I love that verse that, he, you know, that he's really led me to even in recent days. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah. And who are we to question or to even try to limit the scope of who he is? He can't, our God cannot be put in a box. I will say this, when you do your research, there may be a glimmer of understanding in the fact that he just wanted to eradicate the violence himself. I mean, these were people that literally, I'm thinking about those that worship Moloch and Baal, that their babies, they would turn over and hand over to a hot God, like, yeah. I mean, a fiery God, they were burned alive. And there were things that went on that were so abominable that I won't even speak to them here. They're just really too hard to wrap a mind around. These people were not out having tea on their lawns when <laughs> the Lord told them, you know, to go in and get rid of them all. He knew what was going on and he knew that there would be perpetuation of that over time. You know, we're still killing babies. We're yeah. still acting abominably. We're still doing that. There's a remnant of that, unfortunately. So no, I wouldn't touch that at all. As far as trying to justify all I could say like you is that my heart breaks for it yeah. and I abhor violence. Everyone does. That's not what Jesus was about. Right. And like you were saying, God is so loving and merciful and desires that everyone come to him. Um, one of my favorite verses is Romans 2, 4, and it says, don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you, giving you time to turn from your sin? And I think that, that has always like struck when I read Romans that I feel that in my own life. And, and I know that God has, he desires everyone to come to him and everyone to be in communion with him, but sometimes people have gotten to a point where they're not going to accept that invitation. Right. Yeah. And yeah. if I could add into that too, I think um, like God knows our hearts far better than we do. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> human beings who have free will and have allowed evil into the world and we choose evil every day, like God knows how he's going to use all of that to bring us closer to him so that we have a deeper love for him. And, um, like, we don't know how the sufferings and how the evil in the world works sometimes, but I think, I think God absolutely uses that, um, to draw people closer to him, like you're saying. Um, and in 
in the case of the Old Testament, I found my Jonah verse. Here we go. <laughs> okay, we're ready. <laughs> um, okay, good. Yay. I mean, as, as the story of Jonah goes, God asks Jonah to go witness to this nation of Nineveh, who is one of those communities in the Old Testament that is worshiping Moloch and sacrificing their children and participating in just atrocious evils. Um, and of course, mm. Jonah's reluctant. But after the fish spits him <laughs> spits him out, he goes and witnesses to the people and they repent. Um, <laughs> and one of the most confusing and beautiful verses in all of this is Jonah 4, verses 1 through 4. Um, and this is right after the people repent and God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. Um, and Jonah's response is to get exceedingly angry. <laughs> and it says he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And I just think that's amazing that Jonah is so Mm. in awe of the forgiveness of God that he's like, no more, Mm. (laughs) Um, which is, is amazing. And, you know, we can't, we can't know what the Ninevites would have chosen in a different situation if like God had let that disaster come upon him, come upon them. But God knew that using Jonah would cause the Ninevites to relent, to repent. Um, and he would relent of his disaster. So I think, you know, God's end goal is for everyone to freely come to know him as much and love him as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that has to happen through disaster as much as we hate it, as much as I hate it within my own life. Like I know that those sufferings and those trials are what bring me closer to the Lord. Um, And we can get into the theology of like how, you know, suffering had to be because of our free will and God <laughs> gave us the choice to love him, yeah. and the choice not to love him. But, but ultimately like God's not after us trying to hurt us at all. He just, he wants us to be with him for our own benefit. He gets nothing out of a relationship with us, but we get everything out of a relationship with him. Yeah. But he, um, he does enjoy us yeah. so much. Yeah. I just, it blows my mind that that wherever we are, in whatever sin we're stuck in, he loves us. He enjoys us. He delights in us. And he knows the outcome. He can see ahead. And I'm often reminded of that, you know, that he he knew. He knew when I rejected him all of those years ago, what today would look like. And that's encouraging. And I feel like he's smiling. And I want to just stop down on part of that verse, the verse that talks about he is slow to anger. Yeah. Can you imagine where we would be if he wasn't oh so to anger? We wouldn't be here. You know, I, well, and I just think, you know, like with the Canaanites, like how far did they have to push him for him to have issued the decrees he did in the Old Testament that are spoken about in the Old Testament? Because honestly, we know of those things that just anger us beyond measure these days. And we want him to act swiftly. We want him yes. to deal with it. You know, and so, and we can count on that. We can count on the fact that he is a God of mercy, but we can also count on the fact that he is a God of justice Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that's going to happen that's not going to be answered for. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that is so encouraging. Yeah. So, well, and also, I think it's, yeah, well, I was just thinking too, when you were saying slow to anger and how, where would we be? um, Like all of that anger that God has 
for our sins and for the wickedness that he sees in the world. I mean, he didn't just ignore that. Like he took that on himself so that we could receive the forgiveness that we don't deserve. So it's not like God is some removed arbitrary judge, just flicking out punishments um, based on our wrongdoings, but it's something that he entered into and took on our punishment um, because he wants us to receive his forgiveness and receive his love. Yeah. And you really don't find that in any other religion. A God who comes and dies for his people. Yeah. Yeah, And who loves us and, and who assures us of our salvation. That's the other thing in other religions, there's no assurance of salvation. Like, you know, I I can't imagine what it would be like to be facing death and not be certain that you were taken care of for all of eternity and that you, your salvation was in jeopardy. That is mind boggling. And yet that's exactly what happens. And I, I just keep thinking about, I, I think that in the believing community, we talk about this a lot, but I just have to say it again for those who may not be a part of that. And it never can be overstated. The fact that, and it's hard to say this without choking up, the fact that he hung on that cross and he saw each of us, he, he foreknew each of us and he also foreknew our destiny and that for the joy set before him, which was knowing that he would be reunited with us forever. It propelled him forward to do what he needed to do. And it gave him joy to know us in that way. That is, that's crazy to be loved that way. Don't we all want to be loved that way? Human relationships pale in comparison to what Mm -hmm. we can experience through him. And there's not a thing in this earth, not another human being that can fill that hole except Jesus Christ. And it is so liberating and beautiful to experience that. And wouldn't you want to be assured that this was your destiny? How could you make a choice otherwise? In other words, what if you're wrong? What if you don't accept Jesus and you're wrong? That's a philosophical, like, Christine and I were talking about that. It's like, do you remember what it's called? It might be you for Pro's Dilemma. We're not sure. We were talking about this the other day, though, and it basically sets up this scenario of if I'm right and Christianity is true, then I've gained everything and you've lost everything. And if I'm wrong and Christianity mm. isn't true, then at least usually you, you live a life that, you know, is more upstanding, more moral, and, and you gain, I guess, at least earthly honor. And you're not losing anything because if eternity and God don't exist, so what? But then if, you know, but if I'm right and Christianity is true, you are losing everything. So really, yeah. in the end, it's a better wager to be a Christian. The other thing was, well, I don't believe in hell. Hell doesn't exist. And or if, if one accepts that hell does exist, how can we reconcile that a loving God would send people to hell? <laughs> So what do you two say about that? Ooh, that's a tough one. Because um, I, oh gosh, I know C.S. Lewis has that beautiful quote that um, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. I yeah. love that. Um, and that's I think so it's, good. A, it's a reminder that like, I mean, nobody would look at hell and say it's it's a loving place at all. But it's it's a reminder that like God's not going to force someone to be with him for eternity if they've spent all of their life on earth rejecting him. 
because um, that would be the definition of being an unloving God if someone doesn't love him and he forces them to be with be with him. Um, and I, yeah, I, my, my little brother, when he was 11, he said that, like the sweetest and most profound thing about heaven and hell. He said, heaven is not a where, it's a who. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so yeah. beautiful because like heaven is yeah. eternity with God. Like, <laughs> yeah, you've got golden streets and um, mm-hmm. no suffering and all the squishy things that we <laughs> like to think about. But, but, like, squishy that's, things. That's not going to be our focus. We're not going to be like, oh, my gosh. This grape juice is so good up here, but, <laughs> um, but like we're gonna be basking in the in the glory of the one who we love, the one who loves us, and and hell is just the absence of God. So I think, yeah, and hell is kind of I feel like a place that we create every day for ourselves with different decisions, and it's yeah. like, and C.S. Lewis again. The Ooh, wonderful oh, mind yeah. that he is, um, you know, in the Great Divorce, which I think we read. <laughs> Did we read that? Yeah, we read that in Britlet. It I love that book. Just, it kind of contrasts heaven and hell in a much more realistic sense in that they're not like, I don't know, like physical places as much as like just kind of the underpinnings of our current mm-hmm. earth. And like, and like I said, it's kind of a decision we make every day towards our eternity, you know, and, and eventually you're kind of wherever your decisions put you. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great perspective. Yeah. So, you know, that's what you would say to those that would argue that, listen, you know, the choice is yours to make. The Lord doesn't make the Mm -hmm. choice for you. He wants you with him. He, He doesn't have any desire to send you to hell, but he can't, he can't allow any of the evilness to be around his perfection so that you either choose one side or the other. That's it. It's that simple. And living there is going to be amazing. I mean, I always envision that it's, you know, we're not sitting on a cloud somewhere playing a harp and bored to tears. <laughs> we're actively engaged with each other, with him. We're doing yeah. what we love to do. We're enjoying the fruits of an earth that would, in its perfection, have been offering it all up to us to enjoy. And how exciting is that going mm-hmm. to be? I you know, I often sort of cringe inwardly when I hear people say, well, I want to experience everything I need to on earth before I get to heaven. Oh, yeah. And I think, oh my goodness, do you understand this is but a shadow? Scripture yeah. tells us that. It's but a shadow of what is to come. Can you imagine the color in heaven? Mm-hmm. And that's what I love so much about the rainbow. It's so symbolic of what is to come. And color yeah. is so representative of the love he has for us and what he has in store for us. I imagine that we'll look back on this earth and think we were seeing in sepia. Oh, yeah. You know, when we get to heaven, it'll be outstanding. I don't think that our wee little brains can even come close. Oh, no. You know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Yeah. As it says in in First Chronicles, I cannot wait. It's and to think that it's eternity. I, I used mm-hmm. to, whenever I was little, I used to sit and like think about that for hours, which is yeah. <laughs> kind of <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I I could see that you would. What even is eternity? Yeah. No, but like, I was like, that's so cool. Like, time won't exist. Like, there's no, I don't know. There's no concept. There's no, like, it's ever ending. I I can still sit here and think about that and get, like, real freaked out about it in a good way. (laughs) That is. That's so true. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. profound. That gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. And I think about that, you know, as we're talking here about how heaven is something we can't even fathom. 
I think that's just a reflection of who God is. And I, you know, we try so hard to put God into boxes as something that we can understand. And well, if, if he has this characteristic, that means he must be acting in this way and he should treat me like this kind of thing. But, um, but I think there's beauty in just leaving him in the mystery. And that's what makes him who he is, is that we, we cannot comprehend him at all. Um, we can't even my- understand each other. <laughs> Why do we think we can understand God? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that one of the biggest pieces of evidence for me personally is just God's constant pursuit of my heart throughout my life. Um, I, you know, I've changed a lot over the years, philosophically and intellectually, but God has just kept revealing himself to me through the many different seasons of my life and it's and it's not always because I've been looking for him I can tell you that (laughs) and I I think also just looking back I mean you're kind of talking about miracles as well like I mean I think miracles come in all shapes and sizes and and some are instantaneous and some are a long time in coming but there are, are certain moments I can look back on in my life where if I had been in control and had my own way things would look very different now and uh, Especially I can think of one. Um, when I was younger, I I was probably like about 11 or 12. And I had just gotten kind of into musical theater and was auditioning for a local production for the summer and had gotten called back for the part that I wanted. And it was just such an exciting time. And then I didn't end up getting the part, which was, of course, devastating oh. in the moment. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> God's will in the end because suddenly my summer was wide open and my mom somehow found out about this youth ministry, which is actually through the studio that Christy and I danced at for many years. And it's called Backyard Bible Clubs. And basically it seeks to go out into underserved communities and neighborhoods in our area. And all throughout the summer, we would go and spend time with the neighborhood children there. We would give them a snack, uh, help them to engage in a Bible story, spend one-on-one time with them, just building community. And that was just such an impactful ministry to my faith for probably about six years. I did that until I was 18 from like age 12. And I I look back in that moment and I mean, other people might not think it's a miracle, but I look back at that and I'm like, if if that hadn't happened and I didn't get that part, you know, like, I think I'd be a completely different person. I don't think I, I don't know if we would be friends. Like, (laughs) I I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have done this ministry. I would have never gone and been a part of that community. I I would have been completely in a different sphere. And, And just to think that like, that was such a life altering moment that of course I was devastated that it happened the way it was when I was 12. But now that I'm 21, I look back at that and I'm like, amen. <laughs> Gosh, and I love I love thinking about like Zoe's testimony right there and how God restores our relevance based on rejection. I, it, it's just like something that I keep thinking of, mm-hmm. um, which is like uh, just such a hard thing, especially I think, I mean, at any age of life, but especially at our stage um, as young adults going through and you know, a lot of opportunities are coming up and getting shot down. Um, and it's, it's hard. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, when you asked that question, I was thinking I, um, (laughs) a few months ago had, had my first like big heartbreak, um, which, which happens as, as a young adult. Um, 
And it was, it was like, nobody did anything wrong. It wasn't anybody's fault. It was just an out of the blue, um, pretty bad breakup. And it was, it was just a, a, a rough time for me. Um, and I remember struggling a lot. I remember I am still struggling a lot <laughs> through that. But I think a word of encouragement to anyone else who's, who's going through that season, because I, I know a lot of people had, had hardships this, this year. Yeah. Um, is just being reminded that the way that other people see us is not necessarily the way that God sees us mm-hmm. and God loves us and is near to us um, and has a deeper and greater relationship with us than anything we could have on earth with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, like I personally, when I was, when I was going through that difficult season and my heart was hurting a lot that first month, especially the Lord was, was so good to give me this reoccurring dream pretty much all through the month of like that first month after the breakup. And it was, it was a dream from Matthew 26 um, where Jesus is praying in Gethsemane and he's saying to his disciples who are falling asleep, he's saying, just, just stay awake and sit with me and watch and pray. And so in my dream, like I was, I was sitting there in Gethsemane um, and Jesus was just sitting next to me saying, Hey, (laughs) chin up kid. Like it sucks, but it's going to be okay. I've got the victory. I've, I mean, Death can't hold me down for three days, like in the same way rejection can't hold you down either. Um, and just stay awake and watch and pray. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that because I'm, I'm a very visual person. Like we can talk about intellect and apologetics all day long. But I think the way that the Lord speaks to me most is just through through coming in visions and dreams in my heart, because that's just that's who I am. That's how I process. So to be I, but I've never had like a reoccurring dream before. So to be able to have that and have the, the feeling of God close to me in the midst of hardship was was huge. And I definitely don't think I, I would be able to talk about it at all <laughs> if that's not just evidence of the Lord working through that hardship and working through that healing. And I know I know a lot of people don't have that same experience, but I hope I hope that's encouraging in some way because Jesus mm-hmm. is sitting with all of us in our Gethsemanes and you know if there's a tendency to just fall asleep because it's night and we're tired and things are <laughs> yeah. horrible, but um, he's rooting us on. He's our intercessor and telling us to just stay awake and watch and pray because he has something far better for us ahead than anything that we leave behind. Yeah. So and this is what I delight in. Lest anybody think, oh, my gosh, I don't have those experiences. I'm so sad. Here's the thing. We all can take delight in the different spiritual gifts and fruits that the Lord gives us. We are meant not to have the same experiences, but rather yeah. to have different experiences so that we can share them between each other. And we can take courage and excitement from that. Like, I've never had, like, I, for years, I prayed that I would have a vision of Jesus. Right. Like so many have, especially where he's moving in the Middle East. There's a book called Dreams and Visions. And I thought that would be so cool. I want a vision of Jesus. That hasn't happened for me. But he's spoken to me in so many different ways. I have had very profound dreams where you know the difference between a dream where you you're just going off of uh, the stream of consciousness created from the day before. And there's a difference, right, when you have a dream that's really from the Lord and he's and he's saying something. He's making a statement. And it's at those times you can just be there's sort of an electricity that happens that where you just know, like I've awakened quickly, abruptly and thought that was just from the Lord. That's amazing. 
what else do you want to tell us today? I know I'm going to have to wrap it up because this will be my longest podcast yet. I'm going to have to go back into my prologue and re-record. I reserve the right to create four-hour podcasts for those who want to listen. Oh, I'm only sure. true fans have made it this far. <laughs> You're a real one. Probably us in the future. <laughs> the only People one. are going to be delighted to listen to you too. Oh. Well, and just like we have been to listen to the podcast with yeah. other people, it's been such an encouragement. Right. Oh, and I think so especially right that. now at a time when like community is so hard with, with COVID and uh, I feel like, at least myself, I feel very like kind of disjointed and mm. almost lonely in my faith and like just having like this podcast or even just books to read about people's faith has been so encouraging. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. I I really and that was the idea. I mean, I just really wanted something like that for myself. And when I listen to these back, I am so encouraged hearing the people speak to me a second time. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly keen on listening to my own podcasts, but it behooves me to do that. And what I have found is I am so encouraged hearing my guests speak back to me a second time. And I'm so excited because now I'm having people, this is so, so God, reach out to me and say, I have a story. I want to be on your podcast. And so I, I'm just excited to see what he'll do. All right. Well, I know I need to, to wrap this up and I'm just so sad because unlike our ability to sit in person and drink coffee, I suppose the podcast should end in a relatively timely fashion, but relative being the operative word there because <laughs> when it comes to being relative is long. So um, anything else you want to add today? Either of you beautiful people. Oh, gosh. Oh, I have loved today. I think like I feel refreshed and so I hope other people do too um I do too because I've been smiling the whole time yeah that's so therapeutic agreed agreed um I think like I just want to try to give an encouraging word to our like our specific age group and our generation so um there's there's some scary statistics out there that like 75 percent of young adults lose their faith when they go to college and leave Mm -hmm. the home um and so I hope that um, maybe we've been able to give some pointers for apologetics today so that people can defend their faith. Uh, but most importantly, and also just to building that that personal relationship with the Lord, because he is he's sitting with us in all of our gardens and he's he's encouraging us to stay awake and to watch and pray no matter what season of life we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, and I, th- I think it's so beautiful the way that he has completely rewritten our identity and our stories in a way that we can just love him more. Um, and that that's it. That's the, that's the message. That's the, the good news that uh, we don't have to do it all on our own. We don't have to have control and be our own saviors and walk through life and um, trying to keep it all together. Cause, Cause we can't, Thank goodness. But, um, at the end of the day, like he's the one watching out for us and watching over us. And that's, that's the good news. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, it is good news. Amen to that. Zoe? Um, I think I would just echo Christine that I think there might be a, a large group of, of young Christians who have maybe walked away from their faith or maybe haven't even walked away, but just are feeling stuck in a rut. Because I know that I definitely have felt that way, especially like my freshman year of college. 
of having, you know, just the history with God and, and having the knowledge of God, but sometimes not feeling like I have the heart surrender. And I would mm-hmm. just say, I would just encourage you that that's an okay place to be in and, and don't let that stop you from coming back to God and, yeah. and pursuing him with your whole mm-hmm. heart. Cause I think I, I did let it do that to me for a long time. I think I felt guilt that maybe I, I wasn't where I should be in my faith. And I think you just have to let go of those comparisons and you have to realize that in light of eternity, that, that really doesn't matter. Yeah. And all God wants yeah. is you. And it doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter where or how. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just encourage anyone who's feeling that way, like go back to him and, mm-hmm. and he has so much for you. And it's something that you, you get to try again every day. So if it doesn't work out one day, it's okay. <laughs> like that happens. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how, how much hope there is in that? Like, I just think that's something yeah. our generation needs right now is hope. And yeah. that's something that distinguishes Christians from those who aren't is, is we do have this eternal hope that is not dependent on circumstances. And, and we really need to lean into that, especially now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we need to know that we can trust. Yeah, I think and that's true for your generation and for mine, we all need to know that, that there is someone we can trust no matter what things look like, that he really does have our best interests in mind. And that leads me to one of my favorite verses, Romans eight twenty eight, that we know that all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to the purposes of Christ. So for those who are really trying to follow him and trust in him, he's going to work it out and it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So we just need to wait on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So girls, thank you. I want to have you back. I wish you the best of luck and encouragement, the best of prayers being sent your way, I really should say, and know that you are going to continue to do amazing things in the world. I'm so proud of you. You will never let me down. You will never fail me. I just want to tell you that. I just... I am so honored to know you and to be a part of your lives and to witness your growth and prosperity and your love of the Lord. It's just, it's just amazing. And it's one of my greatest gifts. So thank you so much for your support. I know when I did my first podcast, I got, I got a text from Christine almost immediately when I did my first podcast saying that you two were listening at the coffee shop. And I thought... Yes, yes. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. Yeah, you're you're just amazing. So I just really appreciate that this worked out during your break that you could come and talk with me today. And I'd love to have you back because your words of wisdom are so encouraging. And I thank you. Well, we love you so much. Your words are so encouraging. I know. Everything you said, back to you, back at you. (laughs) Yeah, well, I appreciate you. You're just, you're just so loyal. But yes, thank you so much. All right, Christine and Zoe, my guests today, and I thank you so much for joining us. Please continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons.